This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. are back, folks, here on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050, WTKA online at WTKA.com. Here on Sports Talk 1050, Sam Webb, Ira Weintraub on the other side. And, of course, the MGO Blog crew. Always great to catch up with the fellas to talk about the latest and the greatest Michigan football and beyond. But right now it's football season, and the season really began last week. Uh, that's what we're going to get into with. Uh, the crew, the guys from MGO Blog, starting with the man that started it all over there in the blogosphere, if you will, Brian Cook. Brian, good morning. How are you? Hello. I haven't heard that term in a long time. <laughs> the MGO Blogosphere. Uh, and Seth Fisher. Seth, good morning. How are you? I'm good. I, we should bring back a lot of the old uh, comments from like 2006 blogging. No. And then, <laughs> and then Seth Fisher. Seth, how are you? I mean, excuse, then Craig Ross. Craig, how are you? Uh, I'm doing fine. Uh, I would commend uh, listeners to uh, a lot of things this week, but I mean, your, your work, Sam, with uh, uh, Vance and Al and Devin Gardner, all incredible stuff. Uh, Seth's UFR is great, but Brian wrote an article this week that is so brilliant and so clever. He, one of his lines was take away the Mona Lisa and the Louvre is just a collection of guys in silly hats. And I, I thought, and, th- and this was a pretty thought-provoking thing for me because I began to think of uh, Ference and Iowa as not coaches, but sort of curators, uh, curators of the most boring offense ever created. <laughs> and as the Mona Lisa is the most boring painting ever done, so too the uh, Iowa offense. And so thank you, Brian, for, it, for you getting that in my head. He's not it's- a coach. He's a curator. You know, normally some of your some of your analogies or, or setups they, they lose me sometimes, Craig. But this <laughs> one lose me too. <laughs> this one, it, I, it does feel like you actually have to be in. You have to really look for the components for an offense this anemic, right? Like you, you gotta try to be this bad. Almost they're so terrible offensively, which we'll get to coming up. Let's yeah. start off first, Brian, with their takeaways from the matchup with with Maryland. Starting on the let's do the offense first. We'll come back to the defense. So your offensive takeaways from the 34-27 victory over the Terps. Well, I mean, everybody's talking about J.J. And, like, his game has been analyzed to that. I just want to talk about the tight ends, really. Like, Michigan had, I think, 10 snaps with three tight ends on the field. I think a majority of their snaps that weren't in passing downs had at least two. And... Most of Michigan's successful run plays went off tackle behind those tight ends. And Maryland really couldn't change their defense to, away from a 4-2-5. They didn't have the personnel. And so you have this like 175-pound freshman trying to take on Bredesen and Schoonmacher. Schoonmaker, I'm never going <laughs> to. <laughs> and it, 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 it really just opened things up for Blake Cora. And so even without Eric All, Michigan put three tight ends on the field and it worked. So that's that's a takeaway that I think is going to be serving Michigan well going forward. Because if you meet a team like this, you can do that. And if you meet a team that is pretty stout up front, you can spread them out. So Harbaugh's obsession with tight ends, which I think was criticized some uh, in the in the past, really maybe makes a lot of sense. I mean, it does well, to me. Whether it makes sense or not, Harbaugh's yeah. going to keep doing it. So. Yeah. <laughs> It did seem a little ridiculous when you look at the roster, and if you're like, okay, we got one tight end on the field, and like, you know, the the amount of tight ends that they have that are usable, like, you know, they they can go down to 
they can go three more deep probably than the guys that mm-hmm. Brian was just talking about. But like if they're going to be able to play three tight ends all the time, then yeah, you do need a depth chart that looks like that. And um, it, it, well, it's this is probably going to be an outlier, right? This is yeah. this is not this is probably the most tight end heavy game of the season. But when it was time to put them on the field, that, that worked out. Yeah, I just I, I thought it's interesting though that they also I mean they dip into walk-ons for uh, for their tight ends as well, and that's a position where like historically you can find that kind of talent. So it, it's like it's expanding the abilities of the roster beyond what the eighty-five scholarship limit even should should allow you to get. And Maryland, their only answer was just to play entirely to spill, right? Like everything is. Dive inside, let the next guy handle it. Dive inside, let the next guy handle it. And ultimately, you end up with Blake Corum against Jacorian Bennett, who's a cornerback. And, you know, that, that that's how you get the Corum game, right? Yeah, it was very, very astute observation, as is the norm, Brian. Uh, I, I really showed up on that last touchdown drive. And yeah, they, they ran I mean, the same play. They ran a variation of the same play five straight times. Well, and what it reminded me of is it was a, oh, there's an Ohio State game that we played where J.K. Dobbins was just getting outside, getting Same 20 play. yard chunks every time, Same and that's because you're you're running duo, and the offense, the defense is panicking about the fact that they're going to give up five yards if you just drive those defensive tackles off the off the ball, they pop inside, and then you need to back with the vision to get outside, which Coram did on the last touchdown. So, yeah, it's. And especially when you're putting three tight ends out there and you're adding extra gaps for the people on defense to account for, it's just, I mean, people sort of lose their minds when they're put under that kind of pressure. Now that's not something that you're going to be able to do uh, every down. I don't know if they ran that play the rest of the game before that, maybe a couple times, but it's kind of hard to distinguish between that and inside zone a lot of the time uh, when you're, when you're charting it. Um, But yeah, so if they have that in their, they, if they have that in their package, and then they have a bunch of spread stuff that they've been working on but haven't really been putting on film, you know, the they're going to be able to attack the weak spots of any defense they come up against. Now, whether Iowa has one is an open question, but because uh-huh. they're the number one defense in SP plus in the country, not in the not in the conference, and so you got to give them a lot of respect, but I feel like Michigan is going to be able to poke and poke and then find, find whatever chinks in that armor exist. Go ahead. Along those lines, I mean, they're going to probably play quarters, right? Quarters, quarters, half, something like that. Iowa. Yeah. That's what they do. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I heard Vance uh, Bedford said that what Michigan is going to need to do is, motion a lot to the boundary and run stretch plays. I mean, does that feel right to you? I mean, um, I haven't looked at the Iowa defense in, mm-hmm. in detail yet. I, I mean, look at the me, Mona Lisa. Well, to me, trying to run stretch against Iowa is, is going to be real hard because mm-hmm. they practice against that every day. They've been running the same zone scheme at, at Iowa since Hayden Fry was there. So Michigan doesn't run a lot of stretch. And you're going up against a defense that sees an absolute ton of it in practice. To me, I'm looking at more unusual gap schemes that might put a linebacker in a, in a bad fit. Yeah, you know what, what they couldn't do last uh, in the last game is they could not run counter if, to save their life against against Iowa, one of their staple run plays. But you know what did work? Duo worked in, in a big way. Against uh, against Iowa, you get on your double teams right away. Now, Michigan, one of the things that I think you, you really uh, saw in this game, and you, you kind of wonder, would it be as prevalent taking a play, running it from a lot of different looks or adding a wrinkle to it? So we we saw them add a kick to their duo where they have a guy, they have a guy coming across to kick a guy out. We also, in this game, saw them add a counter to a duo, which... Again, that was another thing that threw Maryland to for a loop. And maybe one of the most interesting ones that I had to ask was this opponent specific. Because, you know, we like to check our work. They ran a power, a one-back power with a tackle pulling yeah. instead of a guard. It's like, man, they, they, these dudes, you, you're starting to see some, some, some similar themes of, of, of creativity that might not go noticed. Uh, to the to the common fan, but if you're watching, they're actually throwing a lot in there. 
Yeah, they did that twice, actually, the, the tackle power. And on the first one, I was, I mean, that was a plus two from Schoonmaker because what he did is he held up the edge guy and then he passed him off because that tackle isn't going to get there in time unless he's got a little bit of help. And Schoonmaker basically ran a one-man double team on, on, the, on, the, on the end man on the line of scrimmage. So, and then he pops off on the linebacker, and I think he's been just excellent on the ground this year. And go ahead. No, I just, uh, it's fascinating to me because I was watching the tape with uh, David Nasmanak, and when we saw the, the the tackle pull, he said, what the hell is that? And I said, <laughs> I don't know what that is. It looks like I'm, it looks like power, but they're using the tackle. So I had no idea really what was going on, but it was, I thought, I mean, very you guys talk about the Louvre. What the Louvre is actually is a historical museum, and 90% of that museum people don't even go and see, but it's awesome. I'm going to stay, stay <laughs> on the Louvre. Guys and silly. It's but, just guys It's, it's just a whole hat. bunch of – it's it's so much stuff from uh, different uh, historical time periods and stuff they've stolen because they – where every the French went everywhere and took everything from wherever they. But it's uh, mostly guys in silly hats. Yeah, it's mostly guys. <laughs> and, but anyway, it's it's stuff out of. If you go into the Bentley Library and you pull out some old film, you're going to see tackle pulls all the time. I mean, this is stuff right out of the Fritz Kreisler and Yost era. Like they, they would pull guys all over the place because they didn't have reads really. Like the op, the idea of options didn't really come into play until the late 20th century. So they were always trying to figure out ways of getting, and like that's kind of what Michigan's offense. Is they're they're a historical museum of all sorts of weird looks that people don't um, don't expect to see, like that play that Brian's talking about. That's a great play by Schoonmaker, but it's also you know that guy's not expecting the tight end to come off of him and then get popped by a tackle. Like you, and the and the the way the teams to prepare you like you wait and see. Okay, is the guard pulling? If the guard pulls, I'm supposed to do this. Especially when you got young linebackers, you try to give them very simple jobs. Like if the tackle pulls. That's not in the list, right? Like, there's uh-huh. <laughs> they go into their their system and like I I don't know what to do with this. Like the the tackle pulling, whose guy is that? Is that supposed to be the backside save? Is that the nickel? Like that's it, it's it messes with everybody's keys. Yeah, I, I, to me, adding a counter step to a duo is a brilliant is a brilliant move because you think if you're a defender, and I had to ask Al this because you know he is very very adamant when we talk that duo and split zone are different. I, I I understand that. When you add a counter step to a duo, it looks like a split zone. And I got to I gotta think that defenses think the same thing, right? And so I, I just, when you see well, some of the wrinkles that they're throwing in early, it can it's be so like, hard okay. to tell. Yeah. Because like, so for people who aren't familiar, duo is basically you get two double teams on various members of the defensive line. And sometimes if you just crush that guy so quickly and put him to one side, then you release the second level anyway. And it just looks like inside zone. So it's, um, I hate it (laughs) as a a person who charts games. I'm just like, what is this? I don't know. Um, Imagine how how defenses feel, right? So, So, but you know, one thing that, I think we did see in this game a little bit more is Ryan Hayes being useful, not just as a puller, but at the point of attack. So he had a couple uh, solid wins and previous weeks, Michigan's ground game has been really right-handed. And I think developing your ability to run over the left side is going to be important just because people are going to start cheating to, to the Trent A. Jones center side. So that was a development that I, that I thought was good. And sometimes when Michigan's in pistol, they got to throw the ball. <laughs> they ran the ball 100% of the time in pistol in this game. They threw it once against UConn from pistol. So they've got a really big self-scout that they need to get in, in place probably for this week. Because if you're running against Iowa and you're tipping, eh, it's not going to go well. It might be to set some up. I remember thinking just within the game last year when Iowa was blowing, I mean, from the very start of the game, they were all over. It was maybe the one, <laughs> the one thing that they were, they had really snuffed out well. All game for the most part was was countering. And Michigan ran a flea flicker off a counter, and you know got a big play out of it. So it, it set up a big play. But man, they had to experience some pain on it at a time. So this this particular self scout maybe is is setting up. Hey, yeah, we're gonna we, show them this. We look did see a counter, not in this game, but before we saw them. 
Uh, so Iowa, what they were doing was bringing a guy up and in. All right, and that's that is a a way that you can use your edges specifically to beat plays that are trying to run uh, run the counter and a couple other off tackle plays. You're specifically going against that play. <clears throat> and Michigan used a version of their arc read to mess with that guy and get um, J.J. outside of that. And then they also have that split flow where like the they run the tight end into the flat while you're doing that. Um, and that will work against that as well. So they have shown that last year, I don't even know if they had counters to what Iowa did uh, before that game. But this year we've seen the specific counters to what they're doing there. So they can pull those out too. That's one of the kind of the questions I had for Brian here is that Michigan did a lot more under center. And that I, I, I appreciate it because it allows them to kind of get those blocks in faster. But it also takes away McCarthy's legs, which is one of the best threats the offense has. Well, a lot of those under center plays were three tight end looks. And it's pretty hard to run zone read from a three tight end look because you just have this huge surface. Mm -hmm. And so, like, who are you letting go? Where's the read coming from? It just gets it, it becomes more complicated for the quarterback because when you have these traditional zone reads, maybe you have one tight end, you know where he's going, you know what the front's doing. And the ability to scrape or do something is is more limited. And then when you put more guys in the box, there's more things the defense can do. And it gets just it just gets hairy. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't think I've ever seen a team go three tight ends from the gut. Well, you, oh, <laughs> except on the goal line. Be, I mean, yeah, you're right. Like, that's what it is. It's the belly uh look, right? Like they used to have that in the yeah. offense in like two thousand eighteen. So yeah, so it's just not something that I think teams have really explored now if honestly if michigan wants to do that they probably could like then you can start running some midline stuff let defensive tackles go and then they kind of t- tend to lose their minds but mm-hmm. we haven't seen any trap stuff this year yet we oh, didn't really iowa see a whole it. iowa runs trap this year yeah no but like so <laughs> that's something that we're probably going to start seeing in the playbook because you know jim harbaugh loves a good trap mm-hmm. yeah. and he's got some guys who can run it this year because he's got guys who can hit defensive tackles from the side and knock them over. I don't know two how... Two questions f- oh, sorry. for both sorry, you Craig, guys. Have, have, oh, sorry. Yeah. Just as long as we're on this real quick, mm-hmm. um, I don't know how well you remember like 2015 Rutgers or 2017 Rutgers, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was 2017 Rutgers. It was one of them, but like they, um, they started running the backside of power. So they'd be pulling a guy and then they would have, I think it was Higdon kind of cutting back uh to the backside of that because and Maryland yeah. was doing the same thing. When they saw Polar, they would immediately just shift all their linebackers that way, and they were already slanting that way and then coming back in again. So that might well, we didn't see be any answer to that too. I think that's called windback when that's intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I, don't, I don't know if we've seen backs try to make that cut yet. I mean, we saw Stokes in the last game go off the backside, but most of the time it's been going to where you'd expect it to go so far so we'll see my questions for you guys is has michigan run any midline zone in the past i don't remember it now maybe they have there have been a couple times mm-hmm. um there were a couple times under shea that they did run midline okay um but that didn't work that well and i think we're gonna see how complicated michigan wants to get and who they want to get complicated with mm-hmm. so one thing that you might not want to put on JJ's plate is a bunch of zone read that is unfamiliar because as uh, Sam was talking about, like, yeah, he didn't recognize trap too. So what do you want to spend time on him with? Do you want to spend time on him with recognizing coverages or getting weird with the zone stuff? Probably coverages. Yeah. Yeah. It leads me to another question I wanted you guys to, to speculate on. Cause I, I asked Devin, this is former quarterback. I asked Al, this is a former uh, play caller because the fans were wondering, it's like, Hey man, why do you think, they, there wasn't a ton of RPO in this game. They, they RPO'd some, but there wasn't a ton of it. Why do you guys speculate? Because I, I haven't actually asked anyone on the inside this question. So, uh, you know, we're this is total speculation, but I'm curious what you guys think about that element of the game plan not really being a huge element of the game plan. Well, I think part of it was that they kind of lost a little faith in JJ's decision-making just in this one game context. So it's his first real game against a real opponent where he's the starter and he starts kind of like having some questionable decisions. The first one, he's got a wheel route where there's a defensive end on Blake Corum. He doesn't throw that. 
And uh, so maybe he's just in his head a little bit and you get the RPO at the beginning of the second half where Isaiah Gash takes the ball and there's two guys wide open to convert the the first down and he doesn't pull that. And you're just kind of, so when your quarterback is kind of squirrely in that way, I think you move away from that in the playbook. And then the other thing is you can just crush them with Blake Corum. So or make it complicated. <laughs> right. It, it was funny. It was funny to see the reactions on Twitter that why why did they call a run and play to Isaiah Gash? It was our I field. was I was really mad about that in the stands. I was like, what are we doing? And then <laughs> I was still what are we doing? Because you, you got a fourth and two on the plus side of the fifty and you got Blake Corum doing what he's doing. I can't punt that ball in my opinion, but you know, it worked out. If he if he executes that RPO, though, that's a first. I mean, Blake. I think it was yeah. Blake wide open in the flat. No, not Blake. It was, but, um, it was heading and heading then, wide open in the flat. Yeah, and then Johnson was also open on a hitch, so he had this choice of open guys for the first down. I, I mean, do you guys think JJ had a had a had a poor game here? I mean, Pro Football Focus did. They they graded him out very poorly. Uh, he made a lot of mistakes. He made some good, really good plays. I mean, he, it was an uneven game. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I, I don't think he played well. I don't. Th- I think he. I think he played okay. I don't think it was poor, I, I, but I don't think he played well. Yeah, the fun thing about it is that everybody's like, oh, "I didn't play that well," and then yeah. he was eighteen to twenty six for exactly. Toronto, New York. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that was a bad. JJ game. <laughs> yeah, but then, then wasn't there always? And this is the thing that baffles me because, yeah, it was a a game where he looked like it was his first start against the real team. Yeah, I mean. And and he was, stat wise, he was still decent. He was decent to, you know, not on the low end of of good. He made a, a key downfield throw at the end of the game. Uh, the touchdown to Roman was a was a brilliant throw. He had some really really good throws in this in this game. There were some some times where he saw some things he didn't hadn't seen on tape, and there were some times where he tried to do. Too much where you see what you see a lot of first time starters do. It's so yeah, and weird. I was sorry, sorry, go ahead, Brian. I was surprised look just looking at Maryland's coverage. Like I was expecting that there'd be a lot of guys running open on the plays where JJ was indecisive. And you I mean you talked about the the tight end on trap two or whatever, but I felt like a lot of the time he really just didn't have a whole lot of places to go when he was was stymied, and I you got to give credit to uh, to Maryland that the corner route that we mentioned that was a bad decision. I mean, they managed to bracket Michigan goes Max Pro. They bracket the two outside receivers, and then the other guy is covered too. So he doesn't really have a place to go with that ball, and he should make a better decision in that circumstance, but the better decision is to just to throw it out of bounds. Yeah, yeah. And I was, I was actually impressed with what Maryland was able to do in terms of putting people near receivers. Now we saw against SMU that when you challenge those guys, mm-hmm. they fall apart. And I was kind of like, well, where's, where's Andrew Anthony in this game? I mean, if our quarterback is having kind of an issue, you can always just tell him to go, high point a ball against Bennett and he'll that's, implode. That's, that's always been like the two things that MGO blog is always up against in the Harbaugh era about with their offense. Number one, the backup quarterbacks seem to be 100% on pull reads, and starting quarterbacks are like 25% on pull <laughs> reads. For some dumb reason, and never been able to figure that one out. The other thing is they just don't YOLO, right? Like we had this whole thing with Nico Collins, and now we got Andre yeah. Anthony out there, and they they want to get the guy open and throw it to the open guy. They never really just say, "All right, look." Go win this. Go, and they've got the dudes to do it. And they, it's annoying because these guys go to the NFL and then they do it in the NFL, and you're like, uh, uh, come on, man. This situation is far less egregious than Nico. Please don't get me started on Nico. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he. I felt bad for Andrell. He got open downfield on a couple of occasions and just got missed. And that's the other thing. Like JJ is not. I keep telling people. I mean, if this is your down game, if this is your growing pains game. You ought to be really excited. You yeah, he's because he's, he's not going to miss downfield shots like that. He's just not. Yeah, he's hit. He hits one more downfield shot. We're talking about a ten yards per attempt game, mm-hmm. and 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 against a real team that has a veteran secondary and who covered pretty well. So, I mean, the big the problems were that the bad decisions were very bad, and the and the the problems were very bad. So the the corner route 
could have been picked easily. He fumbles on the, the quarterback draw. And then there's that Ishtar sojourn where he let, loses 15 yards in a sort of young Devin Gardner. Did, did that come up? I made that too. I made that comparison too. And I said, Devin never did that. It's like, oh, you're dead. You got to be. Do you, not, you remember the Notre yeah. Dame game? Like, come on, man. Or what, he like, never the did game I, where he, like, chucked yes, the ball to Roy Roundtree at the end after, like, running yeah. around for 15 seconds? Yes, he put a whole Benny Hill field, and we got through, like, the whole first frame of it before he threw the ball on that. Or that Michigan but State yes, game. Come on, man. Time. So, because part of it, part of it is, and this has to be the dilemma for Nate. Like, you got to let a playmaker be a playmaker right and so yeah. that that one where he runs around and he gets the first down like okay you know may, maybe he missed a, a, a read but he's able to compensate for that with his legs but then i thought you call it ishtar ishtar it, i can't remember exactly what that reference was but he had a very long movie <laughs> yeah his his uh check down to blake was was open but he and, had gotten and, into his and, and it's second and ten, right? Like yeah. the check down, like the 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 scramble, the crazy scramble is third and seven. So just kind of like last week where he takes a sack on third and fourteen because he's not trying to pick up six yards on third and fourteen. Sure. That risk ratio is good. Second and ten close to the red zone, and you gotta check down to Blake freaking Corum. You gotta check it down. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. And so I think he'll get so let me say this about about Jay. I know it might sound like it's a Pollyannish view of JJ. I just know the kid. And so stuff like that, like he, it's not just lip service. And he's like, man, I'm, I'm not going to do that again. Like, like he is the type that will really go back in the lab, look at the film, stay after practice, go talk to defensive coaches. What, what are you doing here? What's the weakness here? He's that dude. So for him to go out and have a game where he's seeing some things for the first time, he's having some some competition uh, adversity really for the first time. I think that every game that he has like that is actually a positive because by the time you get to the end of the year, he will have seen everything. I think he'll be ready. Yeah, and well, I mean, we're going to see what happens this week. This is going to be fascinating. I mean, Michigan is probably going to have a real conservative game plan because they beat Rutgers by two scores because they scored two defensive touchdowns. So I we're going to probably see something closer to last year in terms of relying on the quarterback. But what he's going to be able to do against a defense that is really, really good at confusing you and getting you to throw interceptions is going to be, I think, fascinating. And hopefully not nerve-wracking given the opposition offense. Um, but... I mean, if this was the number sixty offense in the country, this would be a bear of a game. I just hope. I just hope. Oh, can Can Michigan just get up by two scores early in this game, please? Yeah, I mean that, that's what they did in the the Big Ten championship. That was the game plan. Yeah, right? like let's let's run a couple weird things, and they had that crazy run with Quorum and McCart and McCarthy running down. And then the, the next the next play is the double oh, so, pass, and yeah. then it's game over. Yeah, and, and like yeah. Oh, we gotta talk about the the attempted pass in this game from Bell. <laughs> I was mad at Clatt because I'm in the stadium and I'm like trying to figure out what's going on. And then I'm watching the, and Clatt immediately is like, they have not run this before. They did not run the jet with bell. So what are we doing here? Having a, like a trick play that's based on the jet to bell. So I am still double passes one per game. Flea flickers one per game. We, <laughs> we tried. That's good. We got to work on our sequencing, but that's fine. Keep doing it. I I still think we should have thrown it back to McCarthy on the transcontinental on that one. That was wide well, open. <laughs> that's that's tough because the guy's running away from McCarthy and he's a wide receiver. But sure, sure, sure. Real real yeah. quick on that play, like the Ishtar the sojourn that he had. I didn't know. Maybe you guys did, but that you put the ball on the turf, but you're still standing up. It's not down. I always that's thought correct. ground can't cause a fumble, and that's a lie. Well. well it, the the ball can touch down, and the play isn't dead as long as no body part is touching. I, mean, I yeah, didn't the, know the, that. There was a famous like play in Arkansas, Tennessee, like ten years ago, with Clint Sterner, who like put the ball on the ground and just kind of left it there accidentally. But anyway, yeah, that's kind of a weeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, what did a- you What did you guys think of the offensive line play? I mean, I thought the pass pro was really good. I I think there were only maybe 
four pressures in the entire game and a couple of those I'm not sure were offensive line issues. The uh, But PFF didn't grade the offensive line out particularly well, uh, ah. except for Trent A. Jones, who got a big a big grade. But beyond that, they were all below average. Al Hadi was oh, below really? average. I don't know. That's what I, I wondered. Only I don't Oh, I do not understand. It's really hard to figure out what's going on at PFF. Okay. I do not but, understand their offensive line grading, just flat yeah. out. Like, okay. I think they're a valuable resource in a lot of ways, but mm-hmm. when I see how they grade OL, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't match up with anything I do. And I'm a layman, but, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, and usually the grades correspond to NFL draft spots for, for me, so... Mm-hmm. If it's corresponding for them, I'll be surprised. I I have some guesses, but speaking of offensive lines, Maryland's offensive line was way better than I gave them credit for going into the game. And I know I was not. I I mean I I wasn't terrible about them, but they were. Um, Jalen Duncan actually had some really good plays. They had some great pickups, and you know I was I I, I went into the defense side. I don't even barely even talked about the defense, but like I went into that thinking that oh no our guys are not going to be able to get pressure. And, like, it, I, I thought I was going to see some really bad things. I did from a couple of the players. But a lot of times it was like Michigan was bringing interesting blitzes and they were picking up, like, weird looks to the point where, like, at one point they actually are looking for a guy and he's not there. Um, Michigan started had to mess with it. But it was, like, a, a very high-level metagame that I don't think I've seen played at the college level before between, like, our pass rushes and their protections. So let's pause here because it's a great, a great break point. We can come back on the other side, talk Michigan defense coming out of that game. I think some questions were answered uh, and then some questions emerged or, or you know, maybe were emphasized uh, in this game. We will get to that on the other side. More MGO Blog Roundtable here on Sports Talk 1050 WTK The Ticket. I heard you printed out the radio. I heard you printed out the the Pearson thing, Craig. Yeah, I did. Did you? You know, I felt. What did you guys vindicated. think of that? What did I, you haven't, guys think? I haven't seen. I it felt yet. personally vindicated because I took a lot of heat for saying, "Well, maybe there's another side to this." Well, of and, course, he's uh, going to have his story. But he's going to have his story, and some parts of his story actually made sense, and more and more sense than than the. The, the things around it. Now, some parts of his story didn't make sense to me, uh, you know, and so it, it, to me, it's a much murkier situation than was presented, I feel, in the media and commentators. It's it like always he, the case. Yeah, right? but he, he came out very, very pointedly at, at Steve Shields, and it sounds like he's saying yeah. Steve Shields sabotaged me. Yeah, but yeah, you know what? One, one goalie believe. coach is not going to have that much effect on the team. One third of the uh, team is not going to just like turn on you because of one goalie coach. Uh, yeah, and I don't know, but I mean, for example, let's take the the notion that was just hammered away at that. Well, he told the team to lie on their COVID forms. I think his his commentary about that was pretty compelling, and that's probably BS that he that he did not that he did not tell any, anyone any such thing. And that was, and that was a pretty major complaint that people, that, that, that people hammered him on. Now, some of the other things, yes. Okay. I mean, I don't, maybe the interviewer didn't do a good enough job, but I wanted to know, uh, what's his name? I wanted to know what, you know, how come Bancroft was allowed to sort of go, you know, continue to go on and, so when you he when doesn't I read have article, a great said, answer that's, for it. That's a guy yeah. who got the interview because he was going to tell Mel's side and Mel's side only. And Mel well, does not have an answer for Bancroft. He doesn't have an answer for why he was not necessarily not truthful about things. And if Wilmer Hale in their report is saying we don't think this guy was being truthful with us, they that <laughs> that that means something to me. That means a lot more to me than um, his description of the events. And he didn't have an yeah. answer for either one of those things because he doesn't have an answer. And those are the reasons. Well, why he, he did fun. have an answer to the Bancroft thing. I just didn't find the answer completely compelling. Uh, and <laughs> okay, so that's the same. But thing. you know, yeah. well, it's not quite the same thing. And and you know, here's the difference between me and 99% of 99.9% of the world. I've been a neutral my whole career. I've listened to one side of cases. I've listened to the other side of cases. And sometimes you just don't know. 
And and you know, now I, the 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 way the article fell down, uh, you know, from my point of view, is that they view this as a term as a firing, and it wasn't really a firing. Michigan just didn't extend the contract, and I don't criticize that, given the fact there were problems in the program, and in the end, that's on Mel. Regardless of whose fault it was or how they happened or what the ideology of these problems were, you know, he had he has to bear it. And there and there were problems there. And 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 so I I'm fine with with the outcome. And I, I did attend Narado's presser this week, his Zoom presser, and he, he's interesting. He's a, and I think he may be a really good coach uh, going forward. But, uh, you know, but Mel's story isn't inert. It's well, I'll, I'll say, let me give you give you my my view. Not being a hockey guy, just yeah. uh, talking to Mel, reading the articles, and uh-huh. kind of talking to people around the athletic department. My sense is that Bancroft was a fixture in the program. That yes. he was, and that Mel wasn't moving out a fixture in the program. I don't know if that's the case, I, but I it just feels like it. he was keeping a guy who had always been in the program. That's number think- one. Number two, you remember I asked you guys, why are all these guys, all these first-round picks, who can leave, why are they returning? We're coming back on radio, guys. So I just got the sense that you had a divide. I think that was the case uh, class-wise on the team. I think there were issues already there, and it sounds like when Steve Shields got fired, it does sound like that was an issue, too, that you know he sort of – And by guys coming back on radio? That's how it seemed. Just uh, you know, Sam. I think in I think you're very five, close to the mark. Four, three. Uh, and we are back, folks. A couple of questions to close out the offense. Uh, Carl asks, "Is there truth to the mush rush comments, guys?" I think they mush rushed them some. I don't think that was the the complete explanation. Uh, but I think at times, yeah, they were cautious about getting too far upfield with with JJ. But I think the other piece of it was, hey, make him. Make him decipher coverage with, with with a lot of guys back, and that did uh, that did work at times. Yeah, so they're dropping seven and eight a lot of the time, and they're running a lot of the zones. So those are situations in which you're probably not gonna uh, get a ton on a scramble. But also, Michigan was running a ton of vertical routes, right? Mm-hmm. So there were a ton of like three and four verts, and those guys lifted the coverage a lot. So when there's nobody on the screen for Maryland except maybe one linebacker. You do have to be careful as a defense alignment. All right. Let's get over to the defense. Thank uh, you. <laughs> I, I, went in, I went into this game uh, wondering, could Michigan hold up in the secondary uh, with the level of aggression that they, they shown in their pressure scheme? Can you play, can Michigan's guys across the board, not just your corners, but your nickel, your safety, can they hold up in man-to-man and get some real dudes? And, guys, that was impressive. <laughs> that I, was impressive. I, I was walking out of the stadium, and I get stuck behind a woman wearing the jersey that says Twins Mom and then a couple of really, really tall guys, guys who are, are a lot taller than whatever 6'2 that they're listed. And I'm like, Jamon, can you just not run my route for me too? Like, you ran everybody else's route today. And, man – I, I'm going through the tape on those on those plays where like they were targeting him, and that was the thing. Like when we go into this game, and you're saying these guys, this is the best group of receivers we're going to see until Ohio State. And Raheem Jarrett is a five star. You know he's cooling his heels, and, and this is his contract year, and he's going to the NFL, and this was his opportunity to prove it. That guy, his longest catch of the day was you know a perfect coverage uh, by Usain Still, and you know he just happens to bring it in. That's like a Great play. That guy's going to the NFL. That's what you had to do if you wanted to get these passes off, if you wanted to come down with these against Michigan's corners today. Jermon Green, he knows what the coverages are, or he knows what the routes are, and he's hopping over it. So if you try to run a fade, he hops into your lane, and, and you're stuck. Turner's doing the same thing. He anticipates when the guy's break inside is going to be, and he just steps in the way. And that's it. Your route's dead right there. And, like, when they get targeted, I, you know, there was one time where Turner got a little turned around, but his re- the receivers turned around, too, because Turner was in his chest and he might have given him a shove. I don't know what happened, but, like, that was really one of two times, I think, that there was really an open guy on the cornerbacks. The other one was Turner just didn't sink in cover two, and I think that he 
figured that Michigan had a good pass rush on and they were going to throw to the outlet and didn't expect him to go over his head to the tight end. The guy actually ends up dropping it. That's the play where uh, um, Tonga Bailoa got hurt. So it worked out. But, like, the coverage issues were not on the cornerbacks. And, like, tell me two years ago you going against these receivers that you were not worried about these guys just getting absolutely toasted. I've been I've been on the Jamon Green train longer than you, sir. <laughs> well, I'm a convert now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so he was great. Go ahead, Craig. No, just to say the corners were phenomenal. Uh, no question. Uh, I thought Sandra still was was very good, also, especially in coverage. Uh, Vance Bedford seems to think that uh, Mike is as good a cover guy as Dax, maybe better. And uh, that better, I think, as good a cover. And let's be clear, yeah, he says not as, as a cover good, guy. As a cover guy, right? Well, not not, not as good as you know, perhaps in in, in the box. In, yeah. yeah, in the but, box. But, but I thought but, he's pretty good there too. Go ahead. Yeah, Brian. we're talking about a converted wide receiver. Yeah, and on a critical third and seven, Maryland's like, we're going to go at this guy with a wide receiver screen, and he whips that play. Yeah, and what we've seen from him is an uncommon level of physicality for a guy who was brought in mostly as a slot receiver. He's not been victimized on the edge maybe more than once this year. And I, I feel like if it didn't happen against Maryland, it's probably unlikely to happen for much of the year. So, yeah, it, I, he's not Dax Hill because Dax Hill gave up 20 yards to Rackham Jarrett, not 12. There were times where you saw just the, the newness to the – it was either newness to the position they hit him with a – with a uh, there, there was a play action deal that they got over his head. Yeah, the tight end on the mm-hmm. second touchdown, where yeah, it's one of those things where the the tight end runs by him and you can see him go, Oh no, yeah, <laughs> right. And but then they got him from that and, and batted out of the air where he probably at that point just needs to mitigate damage and and run. Well, I mean, end, but he was kind of close to that, so like, yeah, I know. it was, but that was the thing you saw. I, I'm like, I, I, I don't need to ream him out for this because he obviously recognized what happened yeah. there and like that that plays a scramble where like there are a lot of times where if you're in the secondary you're like sitting watching me like oh sweet my guy's got a sack oh no right like the well yeah it's... escaping and it wasn't just edwards like got out of some re- there there was one where like mozzie smith like has him just dead to rights and the guy just like ducks his head and pops out and then there's nobody else because everyone just i they were it was it was weird to see not just Tonga Veloa, but Edwards be able to slip out of those two to the point where I might have some concern with Michigan finishing their um, their pressures now. Yeah, I I, I want to see before I say that's a problem. I want to see it, uh, you know, see if it persists. But I, I thought Mikey had a real good. The only time you know you you really saw guys running open for the most part was tempo situations where. The call wasn't that is going to be the the piece, the component from an adjustment. And much like we saw last year against Michigan State, where they you had them realize, okay, can't sub if they aren't subbing right. That was a that was a, a an adjustment from McDonald coming from the pros. This one was communication against tempo because the the fourth down call in the in their final touchdown drive, obviously guys uh, the the cover guys play side didn't get the call. And then on the touchdown, uh, it was pretty clear the linebackers. There was some there was some assignment confusion on that as well. You wind up with a tight end yeah, running wide open. I was top. watching that one a bunch, and I, I ultimately just said Mullings just to go and do your job. But he's Mullings was correct that he that when they switched the backfield around like they did, that he and the middle linebacker always switched spots. This was the first time Mullings was out there with um, Barrett all game. So like it was the first time Colson wasn't one of the linebackers when he when Mullings was out there, uh, or sorry that that I, I don't remember them switching those two those put, putting those two guys next to each other, and I think that was part of it that like Colson is. Well, I was more... told that that some guys didn't get the call on yeah. that play. Yeah, or, or or didn't get the right call. Well, well yeah, he gets, play. and that was there was a meta game going on with the with the subs and Maryland prepped for this game. <laughs> Loxley wanted this one bad. They had yeah, there's two scripted drives. Yeah, there was a lot of tempo in the first quarter where you get Cam Good locked on the field, that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think they did a reasonably good job until the fourth quarter on that final drive of actually 
contesting teams that are going up tempo. So I think that's progress. We saw a couple of instances of that in the first couple of games where opponents would go tempo and Michigan looked pretty prepped for it. So I'm hopeful that we're uh, going to be better at it than we were under McDonald. Yeah. Oh, so, it wasn't just a good question, quick, guys. Get that in. Like it was a they had guys coming in from weird spots. They had a bubble screen where they pulled the backside tackle and the guard and brought that around. Like that, that one surprised them because that was the one where uh, Samer still comes up, tries to set the edge, and you know, and, and got sat on legal block. But like that, he's out. He's set the edge, and then Colson's supposed to come and get him. And then all of a sudden, Colson dealing with not one but two polars. So they just had like a lot of weird stuff that I think Maryland prepped specifically for this game. So uh, the inability to get pressure with with four. If I go into this game saying I wonder can the corners hold can the, can the cover guys hold up a man to man and get some dudes and get an answer to that, I come out of it wondering can Michigan get pressure with four consistently? I think that is a, a legitimate question coming out of this game. What do you guys think? I think yeah, it's, it's been answered. I, I mean, I think the answer is no, uh, and. Now, maybe they can change personnel if they play maybe with Oki or or more Braden McGregor. They may be, but I don't think they're going to get organic pressure this year. Not, you know, I don't know. Well, they got a little bit from Mike Morris. I think that's going to be consistent. Yeah. Like he's going to get, I think he had six pressures in this game. And I think that's about what you're going to get. You're going to get a decent level from him. I think. One of the disappointing things is we really haven't seen a whole lot from the defensive tackles in this department. So I was hoping that we might get <clears throat> some sort of Mo Hurst slash Ryan Glasgow defensive tackle where he's pretty relevant in, in the game. And mostly they're pushing the pocket. And that's that's fine as far as it goes. But it's not generating pressures by itself. So that can be helpful if someone else generates a pressure. Permission. And then Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. And then the weak side end, it's just like Jalen Harrell had a great three weeks against teams that are not really power five level. And I think he kind of came back down to earth in this one. So you're looking for a solution at, at that weak side end. And you have a couple of options. You have Oki, you have McGregor, and you have more. Mm. One of those guys might break through. Yeah, I think they're all going to get a, an audition. And Jim mate was pretty plain talking about Yabi getting more snaps. So uh, I think that'll help. I, I mean, I think Derek Moore, man. Yeah, that's where I'm yeah. at, too. That's where I'm at, too. Moore's, he's the guy. I, I'm sure that there's a reason. Like, I'm sure that, like, he's not. They're not seeing stuff against the run yet, or that he like just has not picked up all the little things that they can do to you at defensive end. Um, but I, he's coming. That's if you want to like put money in on one of these guys down the road, because you know Iabi's got, he's only got two years to, to play, right? Moore is in his freshman season, so he's got at least one more season, um, and and a little bit more runway too. The way the Michigan pass rushes, they leave. One guy back. One guy is kind of like sitting in the middle and, and down there, especially against uh, Tonga Veloa. They wanted to make sure that like, they have some sort of contain. Now, I don't think that they were completely ginger, but the idea was two guys get to go rush the quarterback. One guy kind of pushes it closed, and then two guy, and then and when one guy is sitting back and keeping everything kind of contained uh, in the front, so the quarterback can't just run straight down the middle. That's their system. And the problem is, if your guy who's rushing is Jalen Harrell, once in a while he does get through. He had one where he put the, the right tackle on his butt, and he had another one where um, he should use this move more often, where he aims high and then hops inside. Because he's more agile than the guy, he's 240 pounds, right? He's a linebacker size, and that's a linebacker-style pass rush. He should do that more often and try his, instead of the spin move, which is very easy to counter and very easy to see. Because if he gets stuck on a guy, he's stuck. He's not pushing the pocket. And Michigan's pass rush needs that guy to be able to push the pocket. And Upshaw just he can't get to the quarterback. And they try to use him in a couple of run situations, but then he gets locked on the field just like good uh, when they, they get a first down. Like you put him under the, you know, they're in the chat of their goalposts. You're like, okay, they're going to run here. Well, they pass. Now they're at the 25. Now he's locked on the field and you have no pass rush. So those guys have to pass them. Upshaw got as much run in this game as Braden McGregor, and I think that's got to stop. I think Braden McGregor has got to pass him uh, because McGregor does give you some pass rush, and it's different types of pass rush. And he wasn't getting blown off the ball, and this is a good offensive line, especially at doubles. He was not getting blown off the ball this game uh, like he was 
at the very beginning of the season. So if that's cleaned up a bit, now he doesn't have the strength of Upshaw, okay. But the way that they play him, I think that should be your guy. Right now, that's the one who should be leading, and then more in the future. So real quick, give me give me your take, uh, sort of your projection, your analysis, your prediction for this Maryland game. How will it play out, Brian? Game? Iowa. <laughs> Iowa, sorry. I mean, I think it'll be KG for the first quarter or so as Michigan just tries to feel their way into a game against a high-level defense that's very tricky without having turnovers. I think... Dude. Was that like Darth Vader or something? What just happened? <laughs> I think Craig was breathing into the mic. All right, I was uh, breathing. Sorry, <laughs> I so, thought I had died a while ago. <laughs> and then you know, Michigan gets. I mean, it's just going to be the Big Ten championship game, except less scoring, probably. So you know, okay. Seth, how do you think this would play out? Forty-two-three. <laughs> this is exactly <laughs> like the Big Ten championship. It's exact same team. They lost. They, they're a worse offense. And Iowa, what are they going to do? They're going to punt. They're going to put you on the nine-yard line. They want to play a special teams game against Michigan. Bring it on. Craig yeah, that That's a fair point. I mean, uh, Michigan special teams have been excellent, uh, probably about as good as anybody's, and, and so I don't think that's a game Iowa can win. It, it, if Michigan is careful with the ball and does not turn the ball over, I can't see how they won't win this game. Uh, Iowa's, I think, middle linebacker is out for the season. Uh, which which doesn't really help he's the them Sam a lot. Linebacker. He's he's not. They're, they're two middle linebackers, Sam. the same guys as last year, and Jack Campbell's okay. going to be great again. It's the it's the Sam, and I mean maybe that matters because Michigan's going to be one of the few teams they face that's going to go three tight ends. But mm-hmm. like they they have linebackers. That's not the that's one thing you're not really worried about. Iowa is their linebackers. Yeah. Well, I still like Michigan, and I think the game will be closer than last year, but. Uh, I think Michigan will, as, as long as they're reasonably careful with the ball, it will be fine. All right. And from your lips, fellas, hopefully it's it's a game uh, that is over in the first quarter. Hopefully. We'll, we shall see. Uh, probably wish we'll think of it. That'll do it for us here today. Be sure to join the MGoBlog Roundtable again next Thursday. MGoBlog.com. You can find their, their breakdowns over there. And you can find us back here tomorrow on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 WTK Ticket, the official voice of University of Michigan Sports Ann Arbor, a cumulus station.